0: But after a while, you start to see the industry heat up. You know, sometimes if you're into retail or some other markets where you're going to, you know, you're saying, hey, this industry might close or might slow down. Let me hop somewhere else. Data privacy is the opposite. You can feel the momentum. You can feel the focus on it and they're going to continue to. And so the industry is going to continue to grow and you can just kind of feel that heat and that fever.
3: welcome to the Kaysian Privacy Pros Academy podcast. My name is Jamila and I'm a data privacy analyst at Kaysian Privacy Experts. I'm primarily responsible for conducting research on current and upcoming legislation as well as any key developments. With me today as my co-host is Kaysian CEO Jamal Ahmed. Jamal Ahmed is a fellow of information privacy and CEO at Kaysian Privacy Experts. He is a leading global privacy professional, world-class trainer and lead mentor at the Privacy Pros Academy. Hi Jamal.
1: Hi Jamila, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited to speak to Paul, who's joining us all the way from the other side of the pond.
3: (laughs) Yes. Uh, With us today is Paul Katsoff. Uh, He is the CEO of White Canyon Software, a premier provider of data erasure software for SSD, hard drive and mobile device platforms to global organizations of all sizes. For over a decade, Paul has worked with technology companies seeking manageable growth and brand loyalty and expansion. He also works on WipeDrive, which is the world leader in secure data destruction. It is the only wiping software in the world that meets EAL2 plus security standards and is approved by the NSA and the US Department of Defense. According to the NSA, data deleted with Wipedrive is permanently destroyed as to make any type of forensic data recovery impossible. Wow. And Wipedrive is used by more of the Fortune 100 than any other solution, and it has been the preferred solution for corporate and government customers for more than 20 years. Carrying US and many international certifications, Wipedrive complies with all major regulations and requirements of secure data destruction. Wow. Welcome, Paul.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Jamila. Thank you, Jamal. Thanks for having me here on the Privacy Experts podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you.
3: It's our pleasure.
1: I think we need to learn more about White Drive and how we can bring that into the UK and Europe with all the uh, amazing credentials and credibility behind you there. Eh?
0: Thank you. Yes. You know, with White Drive, we've been around for 23 years, so we do have some clients and exposure out there in the UK and Europe, but we're always looking for more. We've proven ourselves, of course, with our ability to forensically erase data Mm -hmm. but also we've been around for a while we have a lot of those certifications and we look forward to kind of some expansion if that's possible.
3: Yeah definitely definitely. So as we always start off on this podcast with an icebreaker and yours if you had to create a slogan for your life what would it be?
0: Ooh, ooh! I would say that's a great question I'd say take time to enjoy the big moments. There are certain times, both on our professional side and our Mm. personal side, that you should take a breath and take a breather and just kind of enjoy that moment of what what happened, what you achieved, and really let it sink in.
3: I like that. I like that. Take some time out to reflect on what's happened and give yourself an opportunity to celebrate as well.
0: I don't think we really take the time to really recognize what we achieved. Mm. Let's say it's a new job or a promotion, something like that, or on the side, you know, Maybe you're doing triathlons and you finish a, a big mm-hmm. race. I don't think we take the time to kind of soak that in and kind of pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, look what I did. I'll worry about the next goal tomorrow, but let's just soak in what I achieved and, and take it in today.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, I really love that. And that's one of the things that we try to build into our students in the uh, previously Pros Academy and the Accelerator program is every time they hit a milestone, we ask them to reflect and look back and really just take some time to recognize and acknowledge what they've just achieved and the work they've put in, and just take a deep breath and just be grateful in that moment and enjoy it.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Our first question to you, why is the data privacy the industry to get into right now? Oh,
0: it is hot. So I've been in data privacy for 12 years, started back in 08 just by chance, right? Started here actually at White Canyon in tech support. I tell you, with the collection of data and the ability of the large corporations to collect data and kind of analyze it with AI and other tools, yeah. The privacy aspect has grown. We all have are aware of that, but also it's going to be. I mean, the future for data privacy is hotter and bigger than most other industries. We don't even know where it's going to go to is all I can say mm-hmm. on that point.
3: You got in back in 08, I guess before it was kind of as big as it is now. What have you kind of seen change over the time you've been in data privacy?
0: Starting back in 08, data erasure and data privacy was kind of important to some corporations, not a lot of them. Uh, The federal government pretty much shredded all of their drives. They had a a few erasure tools. They'd use us here and there here at the U.S. federal government. And what happened over time was as the focus on data privacy kind of grew, it's kind of funny we'd get some calls from, uh, I can't say who they are, but let's say Fortune 100 companies Mm -hmm. would call us in our nice little niche here and say, hey, you know, don't tell anyone but we haven't been erasing computers in the past 30 years. You know, this is 2011, 2012. So if you can imagine these giant corporations and they have computers, they've been reselling or, you know, getting off lease and returning to the leaser with data still on them and kind of said, well, you know, who's going to find that data too big of a headache. Let's go ahead and let that system go or return it. And it's been interesting to see the mindset adjust over time where people have realized The risk that's there, you know, you have here in the US, you have HIPAA violations, FISERV, financial penalties, and there in the UK and Europe, they have GDPR. And I I think the UK is going to have their own similar regulations soon, where that becomes financially a big headache and a big cost concern, and that drives the focus for it. And in the States, you have loads
1: of new legislation either being adopted or introduced. So recently we had the CCPA and now in um, Virginia, you have the privacy laws being introduced there, as well as so many other states as well. So it's only getting more and more important.
0: It is. And, you know, the focus here lately has been on the federal data privacy law and when that will come out. We all know that it won't have the teeth that GDPR does. Uh, CCPA will be kind of the de facto Minimum for the federal data privacy law. But as this data privacy continues to evolve, we're going to have a federal data privacy law probably the next two years. I know it's under committee right now, but I think at some point they'll start to enact those financial penalties that we see with HIPAA and that we see with GDPR. And that's going to change more and more the mindset here in the US. And just so you're aware, every state has a data breach notification law, they just haven't gotten to that point of how to protect consumer data, uh, mm-hmm. but that's coming as well for each state.
1: All right, exciting times. So Paul, earlier you mentioned you joined um, the company as a data tech support, and now you're the CEO. Wow, <laughs> tell us about that journey.
0: Um, you know, it's not a journey you planned for. I got my MBA back in 05. I did a couple of different jobs and positions, even tried law school for an expensive semester. And 07, 08 hit the big crash. Jobs were scarce. I ended up getting a tech support job here at White King Software for twelve dollars an hour, and I counted myself lucky at the time. And because of my skill set and my MBA program and training, I moved up to tech support manager, enterprise support manager. After a while, you get kind of I don't know. You want new challenges, so they asked me if I wanted to go into sales. After some consideration. I don't, uh, you know, most salespeople, you know, they, they talk too much, they are they exaggerate, they're always trying to sell you out. I don't really like that, so I didn't think it'd be a good fit. But after a while, I said, all right, let me take the challenge, and I loved it. Like, technology sales is so different than used car sales and other type of sales out there. It's a very consultative, in-depth sale. I really loved it. Uh, I was here for six years doing sales. Decided to branch out, try my expertise in other software companies, and I left back in uh, probably four or five years ago and in the, after a year or two they had a executive change and they called me up and said hey Paul we were great here we loved you we'd love to have you come back as a CEO role and yeah. uh, I think as anyone in my position would we I jumped and said yeah I'd love the opportunity so I've been back here almost three and a half years now.
3: And what made you kind of think that data privacy in particular was kind of the career for you?
0: As you go along your career, in the very beginning, I wasn't here for the data privacy. I enjoyed, you know, the security aspects and our little niche. You know, we have large corporations call us over all the time. We're just, you know, a good-sized company here in Utah. You know, but after a while, you start to see the industry heat up, and mm-hmm. and being in it, you go, you know what? I need to stay here. You know, sometimes if you're into retail or some other markets where you're gonna, you know, you're saying, hey, this industry might close or might slow down. Let me hop somewhere else data privacy is the opposite. You can feel the momentum. You can feel the focus on it by individuals, corporations, government, military. Everyone's focused heavily on data privacy and they're going to continue to. And so the industry is going to continue to grow and you can just kind of feel that heat and that fever right now. So I count myself lucky to be in it. Definitely not looking to go anywhere else. I think it's the right place to be at least for the next five to 10 years, if not longer.
3: Yeah, I think Jamal would probably also agree with
1: you there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we can see that. I think it's about what 10% of the world has data privacy laws in place right now. And it's estimated by 2023, we'll have 60% of the globe would be covered with their own data privacy laws. So I can only see data privacy as a booming industry for the foreseeable future. Definitely until I retire anyway.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, Paul, we were talking before about that you're passionate uh, about data and kids' computers and data with people from working from home. And how has kind of the pandemic impacted both of those things?
0: You know, great questions, uh, and I'll go into the both kind of in depth and, mm-hmm. and just to kind of see our focus here in the U.S. It might be different there in the U.K., but here in the U.S., there is a one computer for every five or ten students was kind of the setup. The students would go into a classroom, use the computers there. The computers would be brought to their classroom, and they had to use them for a day or so. All of a sudden, all these students had to work from home, and it was up to the states to decide whether they're going to assign a laptop or just tell the kid, tell the the student they need to have their parents get a laptop or get access to a computer Mm -hmm. on their side. And so seeing that big issue, a lot of states said, you know what, we just need to do a one-for-one type of program. And they went out and found the lowest-cost laptops or devices, usually their Chromebooks. And they pretty much assigned 50 million Chromebooks or devices all within three or four months. So all these students took these devices home. They all, you know, we, we heard the Zoom meetings and Zoom calls with kindergartners yeah. and second graders and, and so on or on our side, second graders. But what happens is these students, this creates a conundrum because these students have these devices at their home. They're using them. Then all of a sudden at the end of the year, sometime between May or June where our school year ends and August where the school year begins, mm-hmm. those devices have to be processed. If there's bad keys or screens, they have to be tested. The diagnostics run on them, make sure they're, they're usable for another year if not returned back to their vendor or leaser or wherever they got them from or resold whatever they need to do. And then also there's data on those devices. And the big issue and big concern here in the U.S. is you had an 11th grader hopping on a Chromebook, who knows what he's doing on that Chromebook or she's doing on that Chromebook. And all of a sudden the next year it gets assigned to a first grader and the first graders on there clicks something and opens up a folder who knows what they get to see and and interact with. And so there's a huge concern over here on this, on just the data on these devices, making sure the students' information is also kept private, but also at the same time protecting other students from seeing information or data about items stored on the computer from someone else.
3: And and similar things have been happening with working from home, I guess. And also people having to use their personal laptops for school or work and things like that. Have you seen similar kind of challenges?
0: Uh, the work from home area is a little different. I mean, you are using your personal laptops and, and uh, you're not really have a risk of turning that back in and someone seeing the data on there. The big issue and the big risk there is you're working from home, all of a sudden you're an accountant or, you know, a tech support agent for a company. And all of a sudden you're working from home, you're excited. This is great. It's a new change. Don't get assigned to work laptop. And so at home, you log in with your home network, mm-hmm. uh, your home computer, and you jump in, you're downloading corporate files. You're accessing the network through the VPN. Well, all these files and information are all coming onto your home network and onto your home computer. And that brings up a huge security concern. Mm-hmm. You know, corporations have spent millions of dollars to protect their corporate networks. And all of a sudden all their information is out on their employees' home networks, which have a password of one, two, three password and so on, or even a home computer that doesn't have a password on it, or the neighbor kids come over and hop on that same home computer. Are they able to find those files? Who has access to those files? And at end of life, when you have this laptop that you've used for, what has it been now a year of COVID might be a year and a half, two years of COVID all of a sudden as a home user, you go, you know what, I'm going to go and, you know, resell this laptop on eBay. You go and sell it and someone get hops on it, purchases it, recovers all the data off of that laptop and they've found your corporate information. Wow. And is there healthcare information in there? Is there financial information? Is this a HIPAA breach? Mm-hmm. There are financial penalties? There's all these big headaches for these corporations that, that quickly allowed everyone to work from home, and now they have to worry where their data's at. Mm-hmm. And that is coming. CISOs and other security officers have kind of started to see the big issue. They're trying to address it, but it's going to become more and more of an issue over the next year, year and a half.
3: Mm-hmm. So how is it that data can be permanently erased? That not just put it in your recycling bin and click edit <laughs> and you're done?
0: We all wish it was that easy. Um, Windows, a lot of operating systems out there don't want to securely erase your data or be liable or responsible for securely erasing your data. That's why products like ourselves, WipeDrive and other third-party products are out there because the OS says, hey, put it in your recycle bin, you click empty, and all it's saying is on that drive, that space where that file is at can now be written over Mm -hmm. and that's it. So if, let's say from that moment on, you don't use a computer again, it's very easy to recover that tax yeah. document or video or picture or corporate document, whatever it is. And even if you have used your computer, they're so large now, You know, a terabyte of data, that file may sit there un, you know, unwritten or you know, not written over for years. And maybe a part of it's written over, but you can still view the full picture or view the full PDF. There's some issues there where the data can last forever. So on our side, what we do is we address that drive We boot up in our own white drive OS and we securely erase all the data. We go through every byte, bit, every sector on that drive. We erase all the data from that hard drive or SSD or NVMe drive. And we ensure when it's done with any forensic tool that you have out there, you can't recover any data from it.
1: And is this something that uh, can be done remotely? So let's just say there's organizations here who don't have the resources or who weren't quick enough to get laptops out to each individual. And so people are using their own laptops maybe their spouse's laptop and then that's being borrowed by people around the house and being taken to school by somebody or the other and it causes huge concerns especially for the CISOs sitting there terrified about what may happen how can they remotely delete or wipe or restrict access to this data
0: great question so um the remote erasure is a side that we've kind of been in for a long time now as far as our deployments go we are able to push out an Erasure file, either an EXE or a ISO file to any computer out there, depending on the network and how it's set up. For a lot of our work from home clients that are addressing this issue, ITADs and other service providers, what they're doing is they're providing a link to their clients. And so a corporation will turn around and say, here's all our work from home employees. When you come back into the office or when you're going to get rid of your device, here's a a program you're gonna run, which is the WipeDrive program. They put on their network with a link to it. They can download, run it. It's gonna reboot into WipeDrive. it's gonna securely erase the computer with all the configurations and settings that that corporation wants. And it's gonna save a report back to the database for the corporation so that they know all that data is gone. But also on the computer itself, uh, which is kind of a nice little thing to have, we pop up a nice QR code. So wherever that laptop goes, Whenever it's opened up and booted, you're going to see this QR code. You can scan it, and it's going to tell you the report of when it was erased, uh, whether it's successful or not, how long it took, all that kind of information. So from then on, you know that all the data on that drive and that computer is securely erased.
1: So what about people that are using their own devices and they've got their own memories on there? Would it protect that, or would that be collateral in the process?
0: It's collateral, unfortunately. I mean, we address the full drive. Uh, we do have some secure file and folder erasures. The issue with that is, on SSDs, the data is stored in so many places. You're going to kind of wear down that SSD if you do too many file erasures and folder mm-hmm. erasures. On. So, we kind of step away from that and say, hey, just focus on the end of life. When you need, you know you need to get rid of that device, that's when you want to run wipe drive, securely erase it, and then you're safe from that moment on.
3: And are your drives and data landfill bound?
0: That is the other big issue. On the sustainability side and and, in the circular economy side, you know, we have a lot of drives here in the U.S. that are shredded. Uh, Mm -hmm. We estimate the U.S. government shreds about 100, 130 million drives a year. Wow. And that's a gigantic number. Sure, most of the rare metals and parts of that device are recycled, Mm -hmm. but a lot of it isn't and becomes e-waste. And so on our side, we're always arguing, saying, hey, you know, we're providing you with a service and a tool that can securely erase that device. And then after that, you can reallocate it, resell it, whatever you need to do. You don't need to shred it. You don't need to destroy it and fill up our our landfills.
3: That's great. Great for the environment then. So we mentioned earlier the EAL2 plus certification. and, And what does that mean?
0: That certification comes from the Common Criteria, which is a group of, I think it's 14 countries and 27 total countries Mm -hmm. that go through and certify different software tools. And so we went through the steps to get certified by that organization. What that means is anyone within those 27 uh, countries uh, is allowed internally to use our software to erase their drives. Now, other countries that aren't on that list can still use our software and can kind of rely on the EL 2 plus certification. But as far as those 27 countries go, we're certified for use by them. Most of the EU is part of that. US, North America, and Asia, quite a few countries are part of that, that group of common criteria countries.
1: Awesome. So it's internationally recognized standard, I guess. So companies can be confident that, hey, this meets that minimum benchmark, or this hits what's required, and therefore it's a safe investment.
0: That's right. That's right.
3: As you know, this podcast is listened to by a lot of aspiring privacy professionals. And as a CEO, what is it that you look for when hiring a privacy professional?
0: The first off, I think, is the uh, the certifications and then also the experience. You know, mm-hmm. the, the data privacy side is a kind of a new industry. There are some certifications out there that you can get, mm-hmm. um, but also the experience in the area and being up to date with the latest regulations, latest mandates, all of that. That's what you're looking for on my side is someone that's kind of up to date, knows where it's going, knows where it's headed, and helps my organization steer itself so that we're in the perfect place three, four, five years from now.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, and with the US, are there specific certifications that you look for?
0: Uh, There are, they're all acronyms. So I can't help you with them right now. I know if I try and do them, I know I'm going to miss the bat on them, but there's four or five acronyms that I look for right now um, that are great. And if you have those, you're going to jump to the top of the list on anyone's recruiting calendar.
1: And when you're hiring people, Paul, so some people will have the credentials. So, for example, some people might have the certified information privacy professional for the U.S., for Europe, for Canada, certified information privacy manager, certified information privacy technologist. But some people prefer to go and learn how to pass an exam and read a book and pass, whereas others will actually opt to go for the formal training and really invest in themselves. As a CEO hiring, would you value someone who's learned how to pass an exam over someone who's actually made that investment to go and spend that time learning the actual training with a world recognized company?
0: Absolutely. The second option. I mean, like you said, tests are tests. That doesn't really mean you have the knowledge and the experience and the passion for it. When you find someone that's in, in the industry, that stays up to speed on it, loves it, is passionate about it, and gets that training from outside sources... Uh, like yourself that's what you're looking for as a ceo someone that's going to be there forever in that industry loves it is going to bite it you know bite into it take care of it for you and that's our biggest headache as ceos is finding you know hr and human resources that can go and have individuals that take over that responsibility and run with it and when we find that we hold on to it like nobody's business because it's it's rare to find someone that just will grab on and take care of that that area for you
3: So going back to you and and your career, what are some of the greatest challenges that you faced and how did you overcome them?
0: Ooh, challenges. Um, I've faced quite a few. I mean, there's, I think, just the comfortableness on my side on doing the sales area, you know, getting out there and talking to people and chatting with them wasn't really my forte. I never pictured myself as a salesperson. I never pictured myself up front teaching or leading or pushing people through this kind of the sales process. That was really new for me. I already had my MBA, so I I knew how the MBA process worked and the, you know, the leadership and the CEO roles. But on the sales side, I learned a whole bunch there of, of how to connect with individuals, organizations, speak to their pain points, speak to what they want to solve, and then give them the solution and the legitimacy of the solution you're providing so that they know on their side they're buying from you, they're buying a great tool. It's going to solve their headache, which is what Everyone wants when they buy a product, right? The last thing you want to do is have a headache three months later and have to switch. Mm -hmm. So I learned that you can kind of present yourself in a way that solves all those headaches, deliver over time as well. And then you have a client for the next five, 10 years, which is amazing for any organization.
3: Yeah. And that started with you getting out of your comfort zone. And would that be something that you would advise to firing anyone, really, not just privacy? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, when I was in tech support, no one wants to be a tech support manager for years. Right. I was there Mm -hmm. for two, two and a half years and the sales opportunity came up and it was going to be a stretch. It was going to be kind of would I fail? Would I do great? How would it work? And I think you come to a point sometimes in your career where you can choose one or the other. Like I'm going to dive in and I'm going to go for it. And if I fail, I'll have to find something else, right? I'll have to work something out. Or if I am successful, where does that take me? Who will I become? What will my career become? And it can be a little kind of hesitant and a little cautious about those kind of big steps. But I think overall, it's always proven that when you do that, you can step up to it. You are able to achieve it and then you're able to move on with that through your career.
1: Yeah. 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 I love those two things you mentioned there, Paul, because two of the first things that we teach in our academy... Number one is about mindset, having that growth mindset, about going out and experiencing and putting the effort in to make those achievements. But what we also teach is the art of communication. And as you've nailed it on the head there, when you're out in sales, when you're engaging stakeholders as a privacy professional, you're constantly selling something. It might not be a product or a software that you're selling, but you're selling the idea that they somebody needs to buy into the privacy concerns and do something yep. to identify and solve those privacy risks. So we really make the effort to make sure that all of our students are master communicators and they can communicate and really speak in the language of those stakeholders, regardless of where they are in the organization. Why is communication such a big deal for you to really get ahead?
0: In the privacy side, you know, you're know you going to present ideas and you know recommendations to your management and to your executive team, and you have to be able to communicate the need for it. The cost for it, and also the return on that investment as well. As any CEO or management or executive team knows, you can spend your money anywhere. There's millions of ways, thousands of ways for you to spend your money every month. But to accurately address privacy issues, take your company to a better level where it's protected, liability-wise, you know, financially as well, and what that cost is. I think on the on the privacy side, employees in that realm have a very high requirement to be able to communicate properly so that they can present those issues to management and have those be approved and protect the organization. So,
3: Paul, what would you say uh, is the one thing you are most proud of in your career? I mean, we spoke earlier about celebrating the big moments and thinking about those, but what would you say is kind of your number one?
0: For myself, doing these podcasts has become really fun. Like after every podcast, I like to sit back and go, wow, this is great. You know, getting out there, spreading the word. As far as achievements go, I remember the largest PO I got, at the time was, I think it was like 65000 or something like that. You know, I'd only been in sales a year, year and a half. And I got this nice, large PO. And it was just kind of that moment where, you know, we talked about stepping out and trying something hard. And I was like, it was about a year and a half into it. And I thought to myself, you know what? I think I'll be good at the sales area. This is kind of that stamp of approval. This is the return saying, hey, Paul, this is a good fit for you. Way to take that step. Way to take that challenge and enjoy this moment, you know, relish it, enjoy it. And you're on the, a good track.
3: Absolutely. I love it. I think we just have one last question for you. So Paul, if you could go back 10 to 15 years ago and give yourself some advice, what would that be?
0: Pre 2008, I would say to myself, focus more on computers, you know, okay. computers are sure. going to be the future. Every industry is going to have it. Focus on that, whether it's Uh, more degrees or certifications on that side, focus on that area. Since 2008, I would say to myself, stay up to date on industry changes, stay up to date on where the focus is going. It's really easy. I mean, I've been in this industry for 12 years to kind of get stuck on what we used to do back in 2014. You have to kind of stay fresh every year, every other year saying, okay, what's the latest marketing activities? What's the latest data privacy issues? What's the latest changes that are occurring and how can I stay kind of relevant and up to date on on everything that's going on? And if I was to go back in time and just be to to kind of do that in this industry as, as I moved into it.
1: I think that is a really valuable advice for anyone looking to either start, launch or enhance their career is you need to stay up to date, whether it's data privacy or something else. Whatever it is, if you want to be really good at what you do, if you want to be valuable to organizations, if you want to contribute to the industry, then, yeah, you really need to be on top of any upcoming changes. There's no point in thinking about how you did things, how you've always done things. It's what's new. Technology is always shifting. New laws are coming in. New standards are being introduced every single day. And you need to understand what is the forward way of thinking and what is the best way of thinking right now. So thank you for that, Paul. That was uh, really valuable advice there.
0: Thanks, Jamal. Thanks, Jamila. I I love the chance to be on here with you and and discuss uh, data privacy. To me, it's a passion. It's going to be a great area for the next five or 10 years, and it's just amazing
3: great thank you so much for joining us today paul really
2: enjoyed speaking with you
0: thank you paul
2: if you enjoyed this episode be sure to subscribe like and share so you're notified when a new episode is released
1: remember to join the privacy pros academy facebook group where we answer your questions
2: Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great things that will add value on your journey as a world-class privacy pro.
1: Please leave us a four or five star review.
2: And if you'd like to appear on a future episode of our podcast, or
1: have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear more about,
2: please send an email to team at Until
1: next time, peace be with you.